Hey, hope you're having an amazing week. Thanks for checking out the podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Tom J.J. Wood encourages you and challenges you to dive deep in your walk with God this week. Want to take a next step and get involved here at church? Our Life Path class is launching Sunday, February 6th, and we'd love to see you there. To sign up, visit our website. That's www.wordoflifeag.org and scroll right down to Life Path. Let's jump into this week's message. Well, we are going to continue uh, today the series that we started a number of weeks ago now on wisdom. So here we are, week four. And wisdom is in lots of other things, but how I would best describe it and what we've kind of covered so far is that wisdom is making good decisions. That's what Pastor Lisa talked about last week and dived into the whole idea about how do we make good decisions? How do we make decisions that are going to get us where we want to be in life and live a life that we want to live and live a life that's going to honor God? We also talked about how it's, wisdom is about thinking clearly about things. We also talked about how wisdom is being led by the Holy Spirit. That's a big thing that Nick shared in the first week of this series. We also talked about minimizing regrets while being drawn closer to Jesus. And wisdom is setting ourselves up well for the future. And as I was getting ready for today, I remembered something that I've shared in sermons before, specifically to high school students, but it's just as applicable to anyone of any age. And it's a simple thought that it's unreasonable to expect anyone to care about your life more than you do. It's unreasonable to expect anyone to care about your life more than you do. Now, maybe someone does care about your life more than you do. Maybe you have a spouse or a parent or a family member or a friend that cares a great deal about your life and even more so than you care about your life. They may care more about the consequences of your decisions and how you're navigating life more than you do. But it's unreasonable to go through life expecting that that is the case all the time and it's going to work out well. That is no way for us to walk through life. And the verse in Galatians, I'd like to share with you, for we are each responsible for our own conduct, how we conduct ourselves how we respond to the world around us, how we're growing in our relationship with God, how our hearts and minds are changing and being refined, how our character is lining up with kingdom values. We are responsible, and it's unreasonable to think anyone would care about our lives more than we do. A similar sentiment is shared by Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. In view of all of this, make every effort, take responsibility, Take it seriously. Get in the game. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, a moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. And the key that I want to draw our attention to from this passage from Peter is make every effort it's vital that we have our heads in the game, that we're intentional, that we're deliberate. And one of the things I said last week that I want to repeat for you today, or the week before rather, is live today like you have a future you care about. Live today like you have a future you care about. And today we're going to dig into a proverb, and it's going to be the main verse that we're going to dive into. And I'm a part of a men's group here at the church, one of our life groups, and we were talking about one of the Psalms, uh, one of our groups, and one of the guys piped up and said, you know... I don't read the Psalms that much. I'm more of a Proverbs kind of guy. And I knew exactly what he meant. The Psalms, in lots of ways, it can be poetic, and it covers the full range of human emotions. Written in the Psalms are probably some of the bleakest moments of the Bible. People being open and vulnerable and honest, and the darkest emotions that you and I go through are reflected and mirrored, and we can see them presented to us in the Psalms. 
But then in Proverbs, you got nuts and bolts. You got, here's how we're going to get it done. Don't do that, you knucklehead. If you do that, that's stupid. If you do this, it's going to chip you up. It's nuts and bolts. So when this guy said, yeah, I'm not really a Psalms guy. I'm more into the book of Proverbs. I knew exactly what he meant. In Psalms, you've got extreme highs, the most joyful passages of the Bible. You'll find in Psalms. You'll also find the most bleak and despairing. And in Proverbs, you'll find a smack upside the head about do this, get your act together, think about it twice. Come on, you know better than that. Don't be dumb. That's the whole th- that is part of the book of Proverbs. And the portion that we're going to read today, it's part of a much larger structure. If you look at the book of Proverbs, it's 31 chapters. And the first nine chapters, chapters one through nine, are one long collection, a series of lectures. If you look at how you break it down, if you look at how the academics are, will piece together and break down how it's done, it's essentially chapters one through nine is really 10 lectures is what they've been able to figure out. So the, what we're going to look at today is known as lecture seven of 10 And these 10 lectures are written with a literary technique that reads like a father giving advice to a son. So have that picture in your mind as we're reading this today. This is written with a literary device, with like a poetic angle to it, where it's written like this is the advice that a father or a parent would give to a child. And it starts off here, Proverbs 4.20. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Now, that's not the end of the scriptures that we're going to read today, but this is the setup. This is the setup that leads into what is to come, but it's setting us up so that we can experience the promise that's buried in here. We're told that listen to these words. They're going to bring life. They're going to bring healing, and it's setting us up so that we can grab a hold of what it's going to share. It's important to note that what we just read, it doesn't read like a father speaking from a place of anger or frustration or condemnation, but rather this is the voice of a father speaking with compassion and concern. This is a father speaking to a child with a genuine desire to help. The picture of a parent to a son or a daughter lovingly trying to help them get their lives on the right track. The parent is not interested in a superficial response from the kid but a deep, significant, life-altering response to the truths they're sharing. From this introduction, it echoes this idea of living deliberately, thinking about things, having our head in the games. Words like pay attention, listen carefully, don't lose sight of this, let them deeply affect your heart is what we just read. And there's a strong call to concentrate, be deliberate, be diligent, pay attention, be responsible, be intentional, respond well not watching our lives play out in front of us, but getting in the game, not being a spectator of our own lives. And this is a a quote from one of my favorite books from one of my favorite authors. And it says this, back in 1976, I received a gift from Aileen Beavers, who was my assistant at the time. As I unwrapped it, I saw it was a book, and I was intrigued by the title, The Greatest Story Ever Told. I couldn't wait to read it, but when I opened it, I was shocked. The pages were blank. Inside was a note from Aileen saying, John, your life is before you. Fill these pages with kind acts, good thoughts, and matters of your heart. Write a great story with your life. I still remember the excitement and anticipation that surged through me when I read her words. For the first time, it made me think about how I was the author of my life, and I could fill every page with whatever I wanted. It inspired me to do whatever I could to make my life matter. So what's the secret to filling the pages of your life? What's the key to a life that matters? Living each day with intentionality. 
when you intentionally use your everyday life to bring about positive change in the lives of others, you begin to live a life that matters. And that's John Maxwell from a book called Intentional Living. And the verses from Proverbs that we read, they act as a setup and includes the big promise. Listen carefully to my words, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. If you pay attention to what's being said, these words to change our hearts, it brings about life and blessing and healing to every area of life. Applying this and embracing wisdom arranges our lives in a way that sets up our future well. Wisdom places us in a position of strength. Embracing wisdom puts us in a position to enjoy the blessings and promises of God. Wisdom positions us to enjoy the promises of God. And my friends, this is as practical as it is spiritual. It's easy to see this at play in our everyday lives. Ignoring wisdom leads to being argumentative and getting in conflict, whereas embracing wisdom leads to healthy relationships. Ignoring wisdom leads to jealousy and bitterness. Embracing wisdom leads to contentment, and from contentment comes joy. Ignoring wisdom leads to laziness, which leads to struggling. But embracing wisdom leads to hard work, being a good employee, and consequently prospering. Ignoring wisdom means being irresponsible, which leads to us not being respected. But embracing wisdom means being dependable and trustworthy, and consequently, well-respected. Ignoring wisdom means being dishonest, which leads to resentment from those around us. But embracing wisdom calls us to be truthful and having a strong reputation. Ignoring wisdom leads us to being prideful, and pride always pushes people away. Embracing wisdom creates humility and a humble spirit, which means we are growing and getting stronger in our lives. It's easy to see this at play day in, day out. And we see multiple examples of those realities that I just read within the book of Proverbs especially. And it leaves us with a choice. Choosing to ignore wisdom means that we're choosing conflicts. It means we're choosing bitterness. We're choosing struggling. We're choosing to not be respected. It means we're choosing being resented. It means we're choosing broken relationships with people. Choosing to embrace wisdom means we're choosing peace. We're choosing joy. We're choosing prospering. We're choosing to be trusted and respected among our peers and our community. We're choosing a strong reputation. We're choosing growing and strengthening in life. Wisdom positions us to enjoy the promises of God. So the proverb that we're going to keep reading, the words are worth listening to. The proverb has something worth listening to. They bring life. They position us to enjoy the promises of God and that we will realize those promises each and every day of our lives. But embracing wisdom doesn't happen by accident. It's resisting what's typical and easy. Like Nick said during week one of this series, it's being led by the Holy Spirit as we make our decisions. As we navigate life, how we conduct ourselves, we're being led by the Spirit rather than our default. And that doesn't happen haphazardly. That doesn't happen by accident. What happens when we're intentional by prioritizing our relationship with God is that we can start prioritizing wisdom in our lives. We can start being intentional. Looking to honor God and uphold kingdom values at each and every moment takes intentionality. Now, luckily for everybody here, I've got this all figured out. Just don't ask Megan to verify. But for the benefit of Mike Chiz, let's look at what advice is spelled out in the rest of this proverb. And let's believe that if we apply this to our lives, if we're intentional, if we're on purpose, if we're deliberate about these things, it'll make a wonderful difference in our lives. So let me reread the setup again from those first few verses. My child, pay attention to what I say. 
Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they will bring life to those who find them and healing to their body. Now let's go ahead and let's dig in and see what comes from this. These are the words that we're promised is going to make a massive difference in our lives. Verse 23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, growing up in the UK, one of the things that uh, we would do in school that wouldn't necessarily happen the same way here in the States is that we would study castles and what it was like to live in medieval times. I'm sure that you may have studied that portion of history, but we would go on field trips to castles that were hundreds of years old, possibly even a thousand years old. And we would go and visit these castles. And what you kind of get was you look into this and about the, the role of a castle. It didn't just turn up. It wasn't just a grand house that the king or the royal family would live in or noble people would live in, but you would have a castle because it was a fortress. The Disney idea of a castle about, isn't it sweet that the princess lives here? That's all fine and good for a movie, but the reality is a castle is a fortress. It is highly guarded. And so when we hear about this idea about, you know, that we need to guard our hearts, the picture that's being painted is that of a castle or a palace, and you have the guards outside. And what's the role of a guard in a castle or a fortress? Firstly, is to protect what's inside. It's also to keep threats out. And it's also that if a threat does sneak in, they remove the threat before they do any harm. You've seen this in a movie before where, you know, someone's raiding the castle and they storm in and they get down the, you know, the drawbridge comes down and they get through and they're in the courtyard and they're in the castle. And then there's the guards chasing them up the stairs. There's a million movies like that. You know what I'm saying? That's the guards trying to get the threat that got through the protection. They got through and the guards job is to go and get rid of the threat before it does any harm. So it protects what's inside. It keeps threats away, and any threat that sneaks in, it's the guard's job to dig it out, kick them out, and don't let them back in. That's the picture that we're getting here as we're told to guard our heart. And we talk about heart, we're clearly not talking about about the blood pumping muscle. Here's what we read, and I read this this week as I was getting ready for today. It is a common tradition in the ancient Near East, which is where the Bible is set most of the time, For the heart to be the seat of the intellect and the source of stability for one who would adhere to a just and wise life. In the ancient world, people had no knowledge of the physiology of the brain. All the functions that we associate with the brain, they tended to attach to the various body parts. The heart being most prominent among them because blood, the essence of life, obviously flowed through the heart. Thus, the heart is the center of intellect, emotions, will, and belief. And this sentiment is also seen in a moment in the life of Jesus. Matthew 22, verse 35, an expert in religious law tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, this question is something that rabbis, teachers, religious leaders would pose to one another. This idea, you know, they would kind of get together and as part of public debate, they would say, you know, okay, so what's the most important commandment? Out of all the scriptures... What's the one that's most important? And the rabbis would get together and they would debate these kind of things. And they talk about these kind of things. And in trying to trip up Jesus, they kind of put that question to him. Like, okay, wise guy, tell us what you got. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now, the second commandment that Jesus points to, of course, shows God's love for people 
And as his people, we're also to have that same heart for people. But let's look again at the first thing Jesus said. Verse 37, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. If one person claps, we all have to. Now, the verse that Jesus points to is from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy that was written about 1,500 years before Jesus was speaking. And Jesus talks about heart, soul, and mind. And what I want to put to you is that this is what we need to protect when we talk about guarding our heart. That in our heart, our hearts, our soul, and our minds, God is first. He is above it all. That God is above everything else in our lives. That our values and our priorities are driven by our relationship with God. That our love for Him shapes our minds and our thinking. That our soul is alive in Him. Our worship and devotion is exclusively given to our Creator. That the very center and core of who we are is devoted to the Lord God Almighty. When we talk about guarding our hearts, we are guarding that with all our heart, all our soul, all our our mind. That is what we are protecting like a guard outside a castle. We are making sure that that does not come under threat and that does not come under attack. And if it does, it's going to get defeated because that is what we need to protect. That is the most important thing. With all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. When we're on guard, we're protecting what God has done in our lives. We're dealing with the things we've allowed into our heart that threaten our pursuit of God. And we're intentionally keeping out anything that drags us away from God. And just like the guard at a castle, we're welcoming in those things that move us closer to God and build our faith in Him. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. This matters above all else. We shouldn't read that as an exaggeration, because it determines the course of our lives. So I want to protect my heart so that my heart, my soul, my mind, the very core of my being is centered around my relationship with God. And from the proverb, we read that is the most important thing. And if we're living with intentionality, living on purpose, deliberately taking responsibility for guarding our hearts, this is what we should expect. Verse 24, avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Now, perverse in English, of course, has a specific meaning, but the Hebrew word here is only used once in the whole Bible, and it happens to be here, but it means crooked or devious. It's not specific to anything sexual, but crooked and devious talk and corrupt speech, they're not the cause, it's the symptom. Our words reveal what's in our heart. Again, Jesus addresses this. Luke 6, 45, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what's in your heart. There's power in our words. And we need to be okay with that. There is power in our words. Proverbs 18:21: the tongue can bring death or life. And every single one of us knows this to be true because we've had something terrible said to us and it has stuck with us for decades. Even though... The person that said it forgot they ever uttered those words. It still sticks with us. What we say, how we communicate, how we present ourselves to the world, that determines our relationships. And as you read a little earlier, Jesus cares a lot about how we relate with others. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as we love ourselves. And none of this is fixed by simply watch your mouth. I have uh, uh, young kids, many of you all 
know them, had a chance to see them. My oldest is 10, and then we have eight-year-old twins. And they're kind of at their age now where they're in school, and they're picking up words that they've never heard at home, and they're seeing stuff on TV that they don't hear me or Megan say, or at least they don't hear me say. And <laughs> so we're trying to help them navigate how to speak appropriately, what's not cool. And what I don't want to do is just create a list of these are the words that are off limits. See, religion and having a religious approach to life, it reduces it to don't say that naughty word. But grace says what I'm saying is indicative of what's in my heart, so my heart needs to change and my words will follow. Religion settles for just trying to fix behavior. It's like someone that watches what they say because they're in polite company. But that's not heart transformation. It's Ralphie in the Christmas story when he's got a bar of soap hanging out of his mouth. A swear jar might help train you not to say a bad word, but does it truly transform our hearts? And as believers, we need to recognize, never forget that Jesus cleans our hearts. Verse I want to share with you is from the book of Acts. And this is Peter, and he's trying to help the early church leaders understand that the promises of God were no longer exclusive just for the Jewish people, but for everyone everywhere in the whole world. Acts 15, 8. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts the Gentiles, which is people who aren't born Jewish, by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. When we place our faith in God, he's committed to cleaning our hearts. One of the ways we can observe that he's been cleaning our hearts, our speech will be kinder. The words we say will be more graceful, will be more loving. The things we say, the way we conduct ourselves, won't be harsh, won't be tearing people down, won't be quick to get angry, but the words will reflect the heart that God has for people. And the proverb gives us something we can do to facilitate the cleaning that's happening in our hearts. Listen to some different voices. Back to verse 20. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. It's time to listen to people who overflow with the goodness and love of God. Pay attention to what I say. Listen to my words. Listen to those voices that boost our faith. We've listened to opinionated people enough. We've listened to people online that we're never going to meet enough. It's time to pay more attention to what the Bible says, not what Facebook says, or what Facebook says the Bible says. If one person claps, we all have to. If I'm guarding my heart, letting the things that build faith and wisdom and godliness take deep root as God cleans my heart, then I can start avoiding crooked and devious talk and corrupt speech, not just because I'm behaving myself, but because I've had a true heart transformation. Is it better to filter what you say just because it's considered polite, or because you don't want to put a dollar in the swear jar, or because you don't want to eat a bar of soap? I mean, I would think so. It's better than just going ahead and saying stuff we shouldn't be saying. But having the expression of our heart change because God's cleaning things up, because we're intentionally guarding our hearts, that is definitely best. And our words will follow. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Following on the next verse. Verse 25, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. I think that most of us, and I include myself in this, certainly we read this and we interpret it with a modern mind. 
We read about fix your eyes on what lies before you, look straight ahead, and we start to reflect on what we should and shouldn't be looking at, and we start to immediately start thinking about the kind of TV shows and the movies and what we may see online. And we can certainly think about what that means literally of those things. Is a certain TV show or a movie shaping our thoughts? Perhaps. But it's important to note that this verse is written poetically to provide an illustration for us. So it's not specifically limited to what's on TV or what our eyes see online. I did some research this week and was surprised to learn that 3,000 years ago when this was written, they didn't have TV or cell phones or laptops. But the best way to think about this, thinking about protecting our eyes, being mindful about what we're looking at, being intentional and deliberate about what we're looking at and what we're letting in, is to think about focus. What are our sights set on? Is the TV and cell phone a part of that? Of course it is. But it's not the only thing in the picture. It's broader than that. What are our sights set on? What's got our focus? Our focus sets the direction. And direction determines the destination. Our focus sets the direction we will move in. And the direction we move in determines the destination. If I started driving north from here, there is no possible way I'd get to Mexico. If I just take off and I drive as north as I can for as long as I like, I am not getting to Mexico no matter how much I may want to go to Mexico. To get there, I need to change direction. But if my sight is set north, I'm only going to go north. The direction determines the destination. To change destination, we have to change direction. To change direction, we have to change focus. We need to fix our focus. And Megan shared this with me recently while she was preparing to speak at GNO, uh, I believe it was earlier this month. Everybody ends up somewhere in life. A few people end up somewhere on purpose. Something from Andy Stanley. And a lot of that depends on where we fix our focus. And the thought continues in the next verse of our proverb. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. And it's worth noting that the example here of following evil isn't from a wicked person who has malice towards the world, but rather someone on the right path that got sidetracked. We're not talking about someone that's determined to do evil and do wrong. We're talking about someone that is walking the right path, trying to do it right. But they weren't as intentional as they should be. And they got sidetracked. And next thing you know, it's gone bad places. We need to be intentional, deliberate, on purpose about how we conduct our lives, about how we guard our hearts, because that will shape how we speak, how we talk. Our hearts will be revealed through those words and consequently will affect the relationships that we have with the people around us. We need to be intentional and deliberate about where we're looking, what's got our focus, where have we set our sights, because that will determine where we're going to move. The last two verses that we just read, and it comes as the heart of this proverb, that the course of your life, what lies before you, the safe path, those things ahead, talking about the path, the safe path, and the course in front of us. And there's a well-known passage where Jesus uses the image of a path to make his point. Matthew 7, 13, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad and easy to travel is the path that leads the way to destruction and eternal loss. And there are many who enter through it. But the small is the gate and narrow and difficult to travel is the path that leads the way to everlasting life. And there are few who find it. This narrow path, 
the narrow gate that Jesus is talking about, it echoes what we just read in the proverb. And Jesus promised two things about the straight and safe path. Firstly, it's difficult. Secondly, it's the way to everlasting life, which means, yes, it's difficult, but it's worth it because this is the path to everlasting life. <laughs> to live life with Jesus at the center, more consumed with his glory than my own, trusting him at every twist and turn on this path is worth it. The wide and broad path that many people choose is significantly easier. Our default is to stay on that path, and it is easier, but it's not worth it. It does not end well. The narrow, difficult path is worth it. Yes, it's difficult, but it leads to everlasting life. And the proverb we've been reading uses the same images to communicate an essential point. We've been reading about a path, but it's not easy, but it leads to the fulfillment of a promise. All that we've read was telling us this is going to fulfill the promise. That promise again, listen to my words, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. It's your life. It's your eyes. It's your heart affecting your words and your path. So it's up to me if I'm going to step up, be intentional, be deliberate and purposeful. It's my choice. It's mine to be responsible for with my life just as it is for you with yours. I said at the start of today, it's unreasonable to expect anyone to care about your life more than you do. And that verse from Galatians again, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. We need to have our heads in the game to be intentional and deliberate. And there's a pattern that we see in the proverb that we let things into our hearts, it shows itself in our words. What we're focusing on, it shows itself in our steps. So how do we guard our heart and fix our focus? How do we guard our hearts and fix our focus? The first thing, eyes on Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. It was, um, how long ago now? I think I was 20 or 21, so 16, 17 years, something like that. I was uh, working at a church, and my church in the UK, and uh, there was a phone call that came in saying that they were putting together a panel for a radio discussion. And one of the other churches in the area, they were going to bring in a bunch of high school kids, and they were going to get a bunch of Christian leaders together, and the kids were going to have an open forum to put questions to people on the panel, and hopefully it'd be a chance for these kids to hear from Christians and, you know, from the faith and all that stuff. So they called the church. They asked the pastor if he could go. He said, sorry, I'm unavailable. So then they asked the youth pastor. The youth pastor said, sorry, I'm not available. So then they called and asked the associate pastor. The associate pastor said, sorry, no, I'm not available. And then I think they checked with the worship leader the maintenance person, and then someone random on the street. And when they all said no, hey, Tom. So I end up on this panel, and I think there were seven of us, and it was all people from all different walks of life. And, uh, you know, there's people there that were from Anglican churches, and there were people there that uh, had books published and all this kind of thing. You want to talk about sticking out. This was it. Uh, and the guy next to me was a military guy, and I believe he was a chaplain with the military. And so we're on this panel, and we're all kind of you know, so they're fielding these questions from these kids, and one of the kids put their hand up and said, who's your hero? And I was the first one to answer that question. And I didn't even blink. I said, Bob Dylan. <laughs> and then I, I spent the next five, ten minutes just talking about 
why I think Bob Dylan's awesome and how he's just the greatest American singer-songwriter that the world will ever know. And, you know, Bob Dylan, he's the man. Meanwhile, the dude next to me is looking over like, like real confused. I was like, it's a problem. It must be a Joni Mitchell fan. And finally I was done and they said, well, what about you? And the guy that was next to me just said, well, I'm going to say Jesus. I was like, that's the right answer. Eyes on Jesus. How do we guard our hearts and fix our focus? First thing, eyes on Jesus. For 2,000 years, the same habits have driven believers. Bible reading, prayer, worship, and fellowship. I have no desire to reinvent the wheel. For 2,000 years, Bible reading, prayer, worship, and fellowship. I read this this week. A major part of godliness lies in dogged attentiveness That's a great turn of phrase, dogged attentiveness to familiar truths. No matter how many times you've heard it said, no matter how cliche it may be, eyes fixed on Jesus comes from being passionate about Bible reading and Bible study and considering how the Bible shapes my life, about making time for prayer, no matter how busy we are, prioritizing, spending time in prayer and lifting up our concerns to the Lord and lifting up the concerns of others and letting the Lord reflect back to us what he wants us to hear, about spending time in worship and reminding your soul that you are in relationship with the creator of the universe and he and he alone is worth elevating and giving glory to and be in fellowship and getting close with people so that people can sharpen us up. All of that is getting our eyes fixed on Jesus, which helps to guard our heart and fix our focus. (laughs) Second thing, know the straight path. Know the straight path. Spend some time thinking about the destination we're headed towards. Consider the promise that we get from the Proverbs. Consider the promise of Jesus that the path is difficult, but it's worth it because it leads to eternal life. One thing I noticed myself a number of years ago is that I never in my day had any moments of silence. I noticed this about myself. I constantly had some kind of stimuli, whether it was a podcast or an audiobook or Bob Dylan singing the greatest songs America will ever produce. It was always something. It was never just silence and quiet. I was never bored. There was always something stimulating my brain. And it wasn't just that I needed to shut out the bad stuff, but I needed silence, just time to consider things, to pray without, you know, without worship music kind of driving this whole thing, but just, just silence, just so that I could reflect, just so that I could think, just so that I could question the promises of God and how I'm seeing them play out in my life. It's a modern phenomenon that we have access to constant stimuli with all the technological advancements. And I'll go as far as to say that it's unnatural, that there's no time to think, no mental space, no silence or solitude. It means that there's a lack of reflecting on life, a lack of reflecting on our pursuit of God or reflecting on the state of our heart. We're not considering the path that's in front of us because there's no time because we constantly got things happening at us. We're not considering how we're relating with other people. And that clearly seems unhealthy and unhelpful to me. Silence seems to be the way to go. Work in silence. Consider the straight path. Know the straight path. Third one, put the guard to work. We're talking about guarding our hearts. Put the guard to work. I want to share with you another Proverbs. This is later on in the book. Chapter 30, verse 28. Lizards, they are easy to catch, but they are found even in king's palaces. Lizards... 
They're easy to catch, but they are found even in king's palaces. As we've already talked about, the king's palace, it was the most fortified place in the town. It was the safest place. And yet a lizard can sneak on in there. If you pay attention to it, it's easy to catch. That's what we just read. If it's on your mind, if you're looking out for it, if you've determined that you're going to get the lizard that comes into the palace, easy. But if you're not watching, it'll sneak into the most fortified place in town. Catch the lizards. Pay attention to what lizards are sneaking in and kick them out. Be aware whether this is something you should welcome in, whether it's something that needs to be protected or something that needs to be kicked out for good. Put the guard to work. Number four, find a second guard. Find a second guard. The good old-fashioned accountability. Invite someone to call you out when your speech shows something ugly or when your steps are taking you places you don't want to go. Now, this is a serious commitment to grow. When you have the humility to let someone in, when you have the humility to invite somebody to point out things that need to be adjusted, it destroys pride in your life. This sounds easy. This sounds easy until someone actually does what you ask them to do. It takes courage to find a second God. Number four, find a second God. Number five, decide it's worth the sacrifice. The path isn't easy, but it's worth it. It's not enough for me or anyone else to say it nicely. It's not enough for me or someone else to scream it in your face. You have to believe it. Sacrifice in itself isn't waste. It's giving up something now, believing it will lead to something greater in the future. Something I shared a number of months ago when we went through the series on Isaiah 53 is two simple truths about sacrifice. Sacrifice is costly, and sacrifice believes for something better. It's sacrificing sleep so we can get up early and get to the gym. It's sacrificing luxuries now so that we can save for retirement. Spending time with your kids when you've got a million other things to do. Making time in a busy schedule to read our Bible and pray, that's sacrifice. But for what we're talking about today, the sacrifice is pursuing the path that Jesus is leading us on. And if we're going to live like this for the rest of our lives, we need a deep, unshaking conviction that it's worth it. Be intentional about guarding your heart and fixing your focus. How do we guard our heart and fix our focus? Eyes on Jesus. Know the straight path. Put the guard to work. Find a second guard and decide it's worth the sacrifice. Let me read the proverb to you again. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all, all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. It's unreasonable to expect anyone to care about your life more than you do. Live today like you have a future you care about. Guarding our hearts above all else, for that determines the course of our lives. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and all your mind. And this is what we need to protect when we're guarding our hearts. What we say can bring life or death. 
And what you say flows from what's in your heart. Our focus sets the direction. And our direction determines the destination. And have a deep, unshaking conviction that the difficult path is worth it because that's where we find eternal life. Wisdom positions us to enjoy the promises of God. I have a couple of questions for you. A couple of questions. Hopefully you have a chance this week to think about this, reflect about this, maybe even talk about it with your newfound second God. Have you decided it's worth it? This is the crux of all of this. Have you reached that point where you've decided that the difficult path is worth it? That being intentional about your heart and your focus and your relationship with God is worth it? Have you decided it's worth it? Second thing, what are you going to do tomorrow to guard your heart and fix your eyes? What lizard are you going to catch? As this message has been going, you may have had a clear idea of something specific that needs to shift. But what are you going to do tomorrow to guard your heart and fix your eyes? What lizard are you going to catch? And one of the things that has always confused me, and I think always will confuse me, is how somebody can believe the message of Jesus, how they can believe that Jesus lived a sinless life, that he is God's son, and that he went to a cross. And on that cross, he paid the price for everyone that would call on his name, everyone would put their trust in him, everyone would give loyalty to him. And he died on the cross to make that all possible. And three days later, he rose again from the grave. They turned up and there was an empty tomb. He conquered the power of sin and death once and for all. If people believe that, and yet they conclude it's not worth following Jesus with everything. I have never understood that, and I don't ever expect to understand that. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, if you believe he loves you in an indescribable way, if you believe he went to the cross with you in mind, and that he conquered the power of sin and death for once and for all, for you and for me, if you believe that, the only logical response is to follow him with everything. Not half-heartedly, not kind of, sorta, not check off a box on occasional church attendance, to orientate our entire lives around Jesus. It's the only logical response. And you may be here today, and you may have never heard a message like this before. You may have never heard the message about Jesus at all. You may have all sorts of questions about God and about life and about eternity and about the Bible. I don't blame you at all. But you're here today, and the question I want to pose to each and every one of us is, are you living with a determination to follow God? Have you given Jesus your loyalty? Have you put your faith and your trust in Him for your eternity as well as for your life here on earth? If not, I'd love to invite you by praying for you to start a life following Jesus. If everyone here would mind just closing your eyes and bowing your heads, this is just to give some privacy to the people around you and make sure we can all focus on what really matters right now. But if you're here and you'd be honest enough and brave enough today to say, Tom, you know what? I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And today is the day where I'm ready to start following him with everything. I'm ready. I'd love to pray for you in just a moment. And I'm not going to embarrass anybody. We're not going to do anything to make anyone uncomfortable. But I'd love to know who we're praying for when we pray together in just a moment. So if this is you, could you just put your hand up in the air just so I know who we're praying for? Amen. Thank you. Amen. Online, you can click the button that says, I raise my hand. 
But anyone in the room, if you just put your hand up, I'll know who we're praying for. And we're going to pray together in just a moment. Amen. Thank you. Wonderful. Anybody else here? Wonderful. Amen. Anybody else before I close? All you're saying is, Tom, when you pray, I want to be included in that prayer. Anybody else here today? Amen, amen. Come on, Word of Life. Can we please celebrate with these people making the best decision any one of us can ever make? Amen. Well, come on, everybody. We're going to pray a prayer together. We do this at the end of every service. The words are on the screen. I want you to pray, believing that a prayer like this has the power to change someone's life. So come on, everybody. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, everyone, one more time, let's celebrate.